Today, our text is one of the most highly controversial, highly debated texts, I would say in the book of Romans and maybe in the New Testament as well. A lot of smarter people than I, commentators, theologians, and pastors alike throughout the centuries, have spilled a lot of ink on this text today. Now, you may be asking, what's the controversy all about? What is going on here? Well, the controversy is Paul wrote this, but the, the, the controversy lies within who is he writing this on behalf of? Is Paul writing this on behalf of himself as a Christian? That way this is written uh, kind of in the tone of this is for Christians. Or is Paul kind of taking this position of this is what it sounds like to not be a Christian, the pre-converted, pre-Christian Paul? Or is Paul writing this on the uh, kind of as the universal person in the world out there of like, hey, this is for anybody and everybody? Or is Paul writing this on behalf of the Gentile, the Greek person who's not converted yet, who's getting ready to become a Christian? Who is he writing this on behalf of? And for hundreds and hundreds of years, uh, there's been a lot of debate and speculation, but I am going to answer it once and for all today. That way, all speculation will be out of your mind. Sound good? No, I'm not. (laughs) But here's what I do know. I know the Holy Spirit is wise uh, when he inspired Paul to write this. In my own opinion, and you can hold a different opinion, that's fine, but in my own opinion, I think this text is primarily speaking to Christians But I think also there are implications for those who are not yet Christians as well. So I'm going to say I think this text is speaking to all of us. Now, if you're a Christian, I think this text can do two things today. I think it can bring some of you comfort. Uh, For many of you, like life is really kicking you in the teeth right now. For for many of you, right, right, life is very, very hard and difficult, and you just need some comfort from the Lord. I think this text can do it. And for others of you are very, very comfortable, as a matter of fact, a little too comfortable, maybe we would even say complacent, and I think this text can also convict you as well. And so this text, I think, is going to work on all of us as Christians as well. And for some of you who are just here, maybe you're here with a friend, a family member, maybe you're here to see someone be baptized, and you're like, hey, I don't think I'm a Christian. I don't know if I'm a Christian. I'm just kind of kicking the tires on Christianity. I really don't know where I'm at. I want you to really lean in and listen to this today because I think the Bible has something to say to you. Because matter of fact, I really do believe that this Bible is God's word to us. And, and I really believe he can, he can speak through his word to you that, that deep ache in your soul. He wants to speak into that. That feeling that something's missing in your life and you just can't put a finger on it. I think he can speak into that. That itch that your soul has that just nothing seems to scratch. I think he can speak into that. And that desire for like, what in the world am I here for? What's the purpose of my life? I think all that is answered right here in this word through the person of Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to be in uh, Romans chapter 7. Let me give you a quick review of what's going on. Paul's been writing this, and up to this point, he's been laying this foundation that we are powerless apart from Jesus Christ. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot work for it. We cannot be religious enough. We cannot be spiritual enough. There's not enough good that we can do, uh, but we can see that only through Jesus can we be saved. And Paul's been pounding that over and over and over. And he's keep telling Christians that you have a brand new life in Christ that you are new, don't live like the old person. But that's what we do sometimes, don't we? We live like the old, unregenerated, the old, non-Christian person. 
Uh, we feel like that we are never perfect. We feel like we have a lot of imperfections. We still sin. We still struggle. We still get mad. We still get angry. We still worry. We still fret. There are times we feel like we are so close to Jesus, like I'm right on the doors of heaven, and there are times we feel like we are so far from God, like we're on the gates of hell, or as we like to say around here, Fremont Street, right? Why is that? Why do we feel this up and down? Is there any hope for us? Some of us feel like, you know what, I, I just, I don't feel like a saint. The Bible calls Christian saints over and over. I don't feel like a saint. Well, here are the words of my favorite monk, Thomas Merton. He said this, a saint is not someone who is good, but who experiences the goodness of God. And so today, may we experience the goodness of God together. So Romans chapter 7, verse 13, are you there? Are you guys ready? You awake? All right, verse 13. Now Paul's going to be uh, using verse 13 to connect 12 and 14, because 14 is going to kind of go into a new train of thought. He says, did that which is good then bring me to death? So uh, what does he mean by that which is good? What's he referring to? What's he talking about? He's been talking about it for week after week. What's he talking about? The law. So he's talking about the law of God, and he's been using this phrase, these questions of asking, like, hey, is the law making me sin? So what he says, is that which is good than bringing death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandments might become sinful beyond measure. So he's finishing his last section saying, hey, uh, the Bible, God's law is not what's causing you to sin per se, but it's showing you that you are sinful. It is giving you categories and words describing what your sin is. Now, because of the Bible, because of God's law, because of God's word, you know that what you're doing is sinful. Make sense? So is the law good or bad? perfect. It is good. Then if the law is perfect, then what's the problem here? And the answer is? Okay. It is us. Verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. Now, notice in verse 14, Paul uses the word law. We know that the law. In our section today, Paul's going to say law several times, and he's going to use law in two different ways. In this verse right here, he's using law as the word of God. So when you read this, he says, we know that the word of God is spiritual, but I am of flesh sold under sin. The law of God is spiritual, meaning it is from God supernaturally delivered to us. This is not just some ancient textbook that people thought, hey, it'd be a good right, uh, idea to write some things that, uh, down about God. No, we believe that the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, inspired people through centuries to write this word and deliver it to us. And so we believe this is the word of God. To open our Bibles is to open the mouth of God. Make sense? Okay, that, that, that is what we believe. Now, he contrasts here and says that we are of the flesh. Now, he's not just talking about flesh and bones right here. When he says flesh, he means we have this thing called a sin nature. You and I have a sin nature, right? We are sinners, is what the Bible tells us. Now, this is very, very important. Why? Um, people have taken Romans chapter 7 and developed a theology out of it called a theology of perfection meaning that when Christians are saved, we instantly become perfect. Some of you chuckle. <laughs> I do not believe biblically that we become perfect. you know why? 
Uh, one, one example, look at Peter. Remember Peter followed Jesus and Peter's one of like, you know, Jesus' best friends. Did Peter sin? Oh yeah. Like he was saying stuff all the time wrong. As a matter of fact, later on after the ascension of Jesus, like he was caught in a situation where he was discriminating against some people kind of in a racial way. And the apostle Paul had to call him out. Remember that in Galatians? And so uh, I can see biblically, like, I don't think we have a theology of perfection. I can see historically, uh, I've got some, uh, some Bible guys that are just like my heroes. Uh, ever heard of Eugene Peterson? He wrote the Bible. Just kidding. He wrote the message. He's like one of my heroes. I read his biography. Did you know that guy struggled, struggled with drinking too much bourbon? He did. Do you know he also, he has a tattoo. <sighs> R.C. Sproul, any, uh, any, uh, any lovers of the R.C. Sproul out there, the good reformed guy? You've heard of R.C. Sproul? You know it took him 30 years to quit smoking cigarettes as a Christian? All right? One person asked Billy Graham. You probably have all heard of Billy Graham, right? One person asked Billy Graham, Billy Graham, when did you stop struggling with lust? He says, I don't know. I tell you when I die. <laughs> if those guys aren't perfect... Oh, we're in trouble, am I right? That said, when we with our sin nature come to God's word, which is spiritual and perfect, we have to do something with it. And we have two choices when we come to God's word. And like, let's say it it says something that we don't like, or it tells us to do something we don't want to do, or stop doing something we don't want to do. We have two choices. We can A, submit to it, like God, you're right, I'm wrong, I will follow you. Or B, we can try to change God's words. But can we change God's word? You cannot. God's word is a reflection of who he is. God's word is a reflection of his character and nature. And so you cannot change it. And so we must go back to option one. We must submit to it. Hear, Hear me on this. No matter what changes in our culture, no matter what changes in humanity, God's word remains the same. It is the truth. And humans, fellow humans, listen to me. We need God's word to stay the same. We want, deep down, every human being wants God's word to stay consistent. Why is that? Because we need a consistent truth in our lives. Scott Saul said it like this. He says, if we resist the Bible, our only remaining basis for truth is our feelings and or popular opinion. That's a dangerous place to be. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. And so God's word is a spiritual reflection of who he is in his character. Look back at verse 14, though. There's a bit of a There's a bit of a troubling last three words. It says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. Those last three words, sold under sin. It's a very difficult phrase. This is where some argue that Paul is not talking to Christians because we're no longer sold under the slavery of sin. When you interpret um, this section as for Christians, this is the one verse where you get into a little bit of trouble because it seems to contradict all of chapter 6. And as a matter of fact, all, all the book of Romans leading up into this point. And so some people will use this as kind of their like tipping point of, see, Paul's talking to non-Christians. But if we believe that Paul's talking to Christians, then we can kind of look at this saying, hey, we as Christians, we're not, uh, we're not mastered by sin, but yet we still struggle with sin. But if he is talking to non-Christians, and if you're not a Christian yet, then lean in and listen to this. If you're not in Christ, then you are a slave to sin. It has mastery over you. And the only way for it to no longer have mastery over you is to have a new master. 
And Jesus wants to be your new master. And Jesus is loving and kind and gentle and will lead us into life by his grace and not into death. And so if you have not trusted Jesus here in a little bit, I, I really want you to, to listen in. I, I, I want you to trust Jesus today. Now, in this text, if he's speaking to Christians, the idea is that we have new desires, and yet Jesus may be our greatest desire. As Christians, I think we would all agree that Jesus is my greatest desire, but then we'd also agree to this next statement, that Jesus is not always my strongest desire. It's like we live between two worlds. It's like we have two natures going on. And now the, this, this uh, section he's getting ready to go into, we're starting to feel the tension of these two worlds that we live in between. And I guarantee, Christian or non-Christian alike, it's going to describe your life. Are you ready? Verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. It's, he's saying right here, as human beings, we don't even understand why we do what we do. You ever been around a kid, and a kid does something, and you're like, why did you do that? And they're like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Like, what would make, let's, let's throw a scenario out there, just a, uh, just a scenario. What would, what would cause a teenager, to hanging out with his buddies one night, go to Krispy Kreme, and go to the dumpster and open the said dumpster and eat a Krispy Kreme donut out of said dumpster and then be sick for three days afterwards. And when you go to said teenager, this is fictitious, of course, when you would go to said teenager <laughs> and say, why would you do that? And they're like, I don't know. And you're like, you're like a detective. No, I want answers. And like, I don't know. It's like, they are so biblically and theologically accurate in that moment. They have no idea why they do what we do, just like us as well. Am I right? We just don't know. We don't even know why we do what we do and why we don't do what we do as well or don't do. Verse 16, listen to what he says. This is us right here. Now, if, you, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. Meaning, when I do dumb, when I sin, the law is pointing that out saying, don't do that. That is bad. That is wrong. You're like, yep, the law's right and I am wrong. See, even as Christians, uh, we want to do what is right, but it just feels like we can't always do what is right. Am I right? We don't want to be angry, and yet we drive the streets of Las Vegas. We don't want to spend, and we don't want to overspend, and yet Amazon has the buy it now button. <laughs> Dang you, Amazon. We don't want to eat certain foods. We want to treat our bodies right. We want to work out. We want to get up in the morning. We want to read God's word, and we want to pray and commune with him. We want to do all these things, but do we always do what is right? No, we don't. We binge watch Netflix, and we got to get one more episode in, which makes us stay up too late. And by the way, while we're binge watching Netflix, let's eat a bowl full of carbs, and we know it's not good for us, and pour one more glass of wine, and then we stay up way too late. We have a terrible night's sleep, and then we miss our alarm. We don't get up. We had intentions of spending time with God and, and His Word. We don't do that. Ends up missing our workout time as well. We drive into work. We're groggy and sluggish all day long. We hate our coworkers all day long, and then we drive home, and we're angry. We drive the streets like a terrorist, and, we, and, and, and then that's just what we do. True story, am I right? 
You're like, how does he know? Because I live like you. <laughs> Can we all just agree we're a bunch of hypocrites? Can we just take the pressure off? A bunch of hypocrites. And if some of you are like, no, I'm not. Yeah, you are. <laughs> yeah. Like we're complex little machines. Uh, Brennan Manning, he said this one time. This is one of my favorite quotes. He says, when I get honest, I admit I am a bundle of paradoxes. I believe and I doubt. I hope and I get discouraged. I love and I hate. I feel bad about feeling good. I feel guilty about not feeling guilty. I am trusting and suspicious. I am honest and I still play games. Aristotle said, I am a rational animal. I say I am an angel with an incredible capacity for beer. <laughs> Brilliant man. Hey, if you haven't read his ragamuffin gospel, read it. It's so good. That's so good. Who's to blame for all this though? Because there's got to be somebody to blame. Verse 17. Paul says... So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. It feels like Paul is passing the buck. He's like, well, don't blame me. Blame the sin that is in me. So the next time you're driving around and you cut someone off, roll your, win roll your window down. I don't know why. Kids are like, what is he doing? Is that a dance? Roll your window down and be like, hey, it wasn't me. It's the sin in me. Deuces. Like, you know, whatever it is. Because it looks like Paul is saying, hey... It's the sin in you. That's the problem with you. Now, when we get this far into the text, we're probably like, gosh, this just sounds horrible. Should we all just resign to the fact that, you know, we're never going to get any better. There's no hope whatsoever. So let's just eat, drink, be merry, listen to Nickelback, cue up a Fast and the Furious movie and drive this bus straight into hell. Is that what we should do? <laughs> nah, let's not do that. Paul says this in Philippians, and this is what we really need to hear with this as well. Philippians 3.12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. So Paul's like, I'm not perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brother, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. It's like he's like, I'm not perfect. I'm not there yet, but one thing I do, he says... Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward. Straining. Like there's effort. Like I'm leaning forward. Straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. Meaning, keep going. Some, some of you need to hear that this morning. This is what you need to hear. This is it right here. Listen to me. Don't stop. Don't give up. Get back up and keep going. Put one foot in front of the other and don't quit. Listen, listen. Be patient because God is patient with you. He's not finished with you at all. You need to hear that. Verse 18, he says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Now, he says right here that nothing is good in me, then he makes a, a clause in my flesh. The word flesh right there does not mean skin and bones. The word flesh right there means our sin nature. So this is not an absolute statement that Paul's making. Paul's not saying that there's nothing good at all in human beings. That's not true. Why? Because every human being is created in the image of God. And every human being, whether believer or not believer, Christian or not believer, uh, Christian or non-Christian, is created in the image of God. Meaning you have dignity, intrinsic value, and, and deserving of respect and worth. Why? Because you have the image of God in you. 
What he's saying, though, is that yet it is tainted by sin, meaning it has the graffiti, and not the cool kind, of sin all over our lives. And I would argue that it's, that it's almost impossible for us to do anything with 100% pure motives because everything in us is not destroyed by sin, but tainted by sin. For a lot of you are like, hey, and that's the reason why I'll never serve God because I want my motives to be 100% pure. Can, if that is you, can I be honest with you? That's a little bit of a cop-out. Like, because you'll never do anything with 100% motives, but I would say this, just keep, just, just do whatever God's called you to do and let uh, God sort that out and let the, 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 the people around you sort that out as well. Now, he says right here in the text something else as well. He says, desires without abilities. And what I think he's getting ready to do, he's setting us up for chapter eight. Uh, because in chapter eight, you're going to be introduced to what does life look like lived by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to empower us because he says right here, desires without abilities. Like I desire to do all these good things, but I don't have the ability. And I think he's going to show us how we can as Christians have the ability because of the Holy Spirit living in us. But we'll talk about that in the coming weeks. Verse 19, still with me? Okay, verse 19. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not do want is what I keep on doing. It's kind of repeating the same thing he said, verse 20. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Same thing he said just a minute earlier. Uh, Paul's not trying to shirk his responsibility in here whatsoever, but he's saying, hey, we still do have this gravitational pull of sin nature in our life as Christians that's in conflict uh, with our new nature, but yet it is still there. Verse 21. He says, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Now, remember earlier I said he's going to use law multiple ways. Uh, this is another use of the word law. This law right here in this text does not mean God's law. It does not mean God's word. When he uses law right here, he, he's using it as the word principle or truth. It's just, it's just a cultural human truth or, or, or principle. So let me reread it in that way. He says... So I find it to be a principle, a truth, that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Meaning, Christian, listen to me, when we want to do the right thing, there will always be a wrong option available for us. Don't, don't believe me? Uh, you're going to the gym, and on the way to the gym, there's a Dutch Bros. 800 calories later, you're just like, I don't need to go to the gym or anything like that. You want to go to church on Sunday. You want to be a part of this on Sunday, but your team is playing at the exact time. Thank you, uh, Pacific Standard Time. Am I right? <laughs> There's an option out of it. You, you want to be a good person, and you want to be good to other people around you, and yet you're on a flight, and the, and the plane lands, and uh, as they're getting ready to deplane, you have the people in the back who would like to sprint up to the front, and everything in you wants to trip them and make them fall on their faces. <laughs> You want to throw a canned ham at speakerphone lady in Smith's? You know speakerphone lady, don't you? Hi, I'm going to talk to you in front of everyone about very intimate and personal issues so they can all hear our conversation. I want to throw a ham at you, but I won't. I'm trying to be, but there's an evil option. Or you want to like, uh, when people are driving slow in the left lane, you just want to take your car and just drive through them, like dematerialize them, like out of my way, like. Well, I want to do what's right, but just evil is so close. I think that's what Paul's talking about right there. Verse 22. I guess I'm the only person with these anger issues. 
if you are the person who <laughs> runs from the back of the plane to the front of the plane, stop it. <laughs> There's order that he had. Don't do that. Verse 22. Stop it. Get off your cell phone. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Now, for me, this is my tipping point that I think Paul's talking to Christians. I really, I, because I believe that God gives Christians the delight in his word. And if you're not uh, regenerated, you're not re a regenerate is what the Bible says, then I don't think you delight in God's law. So I think this right here, he's talking to Christians. This is my tipping point to think, I think Paul's talking of himself and talking to Christians. Verse 23, he says, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. That duality that we have sometimes, that I'm saved and yet I live like a heathen, that I love Jesus and it's, at times I, I love myself more, that I have desires for Jesus, but sometimes they're not my greatest desire. And so I have desires for other things as well. I, I, I want to think about Jesus a lot, but then rarely do I think about him. And so he's showing us this dual nature. Now, this feels bleak until you get into these next verses. Verse 24, Paul says, wretched man that I am. Wretched is an adjective which means a miserable, distressed condition. He's like, I'm in a miserable, distressed condition, which is a good place to be. He says, who will deliver me from this body of death? Now, when he says that I am like this wretched man, meaning I have come to the end of self, which is a good place to come to. I am at the end of my rope. I can do no more. I can't, I can't handle any more of this. That is the perfect place for every human being to be. Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 3. Listen to the words of Christ. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, the bankrupt. You have nothing left in you. You have no religion, spirituality, uh, striving, struggling, straining to try to earn God. You got nothing left in the tank. Blessed are the poor in the spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, notice what Paul says. He says, who will deliver me from this body of death? He doesn't say, what should I do? He doesn't say, what kind of religious tactics do I need? He doesn't say, how can I clean up my life? He says, who will deliver me? That he can't help himself. Look at verse 25. Here it is. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Who's going to deliver you? And the answer is? Jesus. He's the only one who's going to deliver us. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So basically saying, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ the Lord. There's our hope. There's our power. But he says also there's still that indwelling sin within me. I think, I think Paul's teaching us that as a Christian, there's going to be a constant tension in our life. And I think being aware of this constant tension it's good for us. Martin Luther, the reformer, he said this. I'll put it on the screen for you. The first part's in Latin. I won't even try that. <laughs> Some of you who know Latin, like, he said it wrong. I'm like, all right, I didn't get homeschooled, so there's that. Um, just kidding. <laughs> Easy, just kidding. Simultaneously just and ties a sinner. Simultaneously just, meaning we are right before God and a sinner as well. We live with that duality of life to where we are just, we are right before God, and yet I am still a sinner. Some people describe this as the already, not yet. 
Everything God says about us is true positionally, meaning um, it's, it's already done. He says that we are saints. He says that we are the redeemed. He says that we are heirs. He says that we are seated in the heavenlies right now. But then you look around and you're like, I'm not seated in any heavenlies at all. I'm seated right here at Grace Point Church, right? And you're like, I don't feel like a saint. I feel like a heathen, right? Like we understand it's a duality as well. I don't feel like I have peace with God. I feel like I'm always at war with myself and with sin. And the answer is right, already, just not yet, until Christ returns. So in light of this text, what does it mean for us? I've got three things for three different types of people. Number one, conviction. Some of us need to be convicted this morning. And convictions are really good things. It's God pushing us to be less of ourselves and pushing us to, be, uh, to walk away from sin or, or complacencies or comforts and drawing us into himself. And for some of us, when we read this text, we're like, hey, this gives me an excuse to struggle and this gives me an excuse to sin. Any reading of Romans 7 that makes you okay with your sin is not of the spirit, but I would say is of the devil. And so for any of us looking at this and we're like, hey, I'm just a sinner and that's what God got, you know, he, that's what he's, this is what he's got in me and I don't care much about growing and I don't care much about walking in his path and walking his way. You need to hear this call of like, that's not what he's called you to do. You're called to confess of sin and repent. You're called to turn away from self and sin and turn back to Jesus. Not, not because like that'll make you a better moral person, but because that's how humans are to operate. That's where human flourishing happens. That's what God has called us into. That is a gift that he has given us of conviction so we can confess and repent and return to him. So here's my question. Christian, is there any sin that you've gotten so comfortable with? You're like, well, that's just who I am. Is there any uh, area of life like, hey, that I've just like marked off, God, you get none of that? If so, you need to confess of that and repent, turn from it and turn to Christ. Do you practice confession and repentance regularly? Because as Christians, that's what we need to do. The reality is the wiser we get and the, the holier we get, we actually realize how much we don't know and how actually unholy that we are. It's a prideful thing to say, hey, I'm a Christian now. I no longer struggle with sin. I no longer have sin to confess and repent of. If that is you, you do. It's called pride. And so confess and repent of that today. Second person, comforted. Some of you, you just need to be comforted. Like it's, you're just in a time of your life where you've, like, like I said earlier, you've been punched in the teeth enough times over and over and over. You just need some comfort. You feel like all of life is pressure and struggling and straining and you fight over and over and over. Listen, I want to remind you of the good news and the promise of God that Jesus will one day come and all the struggling, all the straining will be over. But in the middle of all that, the Holy Spirit is called the great comforter. And I pray today that he gives you great comfort. Some of you are like, well, Ty, you just don't understand. I struggle in so many different ways, and I sin so much, and like, I hate it. I don't want to. It makes me feel awful. You're understanding the Christian life now. That's what Paul's talking about. It is a struggle and a strain. But listen, don't lose heart. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 1, one of my favorite texts. He says this, and I am sure of this, like he's confident in this, that he who began a good work, who's the he? 
Who's the he? Come on. There you go. That God, Jesus, that he who began a good work in, in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? Yes. He will not finish what he started. God is not like us and has that unfinished project in the backyard. He will make it right. And so don't lose hope in that. And then third, some of you here and you've not trusted Jesus. You are not a Christian. You have not surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus. You were like, hey, I really don't know what I am. I'm unaffiliated or I'm like, uh, maybe I thought I was Christian or I thought I was, like if I had to check a box, that'd be my religion. I'm just not really sure. Or like you would come here and say, hey, I know for sure I'm not a Christian because I thought Christians were everything I saw on TV and I didn't want any part of those politics. Listen, you need to trust Jesus today. He's the one that can free you in this life and the next life. He's the one that can bring you meaning of life. He's the one that can free your soul. You need to be saved. Jesus has done everything to do that. He's lived perfectly in your place. Where we have failed miserably over and over, Jesus lived perfectly. He died on the cross. Listen, he died on the cross to take your past, present, and future sin and to give you his perfect record of righteousness. And then three days later, he came back to life, defeating sin, Satan, and death, our three greatest enemies. And then he ascended 40 days later to the right hand of the Father where he rules and reigns. And it says one day he will come back and he will judge and he will redeem and heaven and earth will be one. And so he's done everything possible to save you. Now, as I say this to you, it's probably not guilt that you're feeling. You're like, you, don't, you probably don't feel guilty like, oh my gosh, I broke one of God's law. You're probably like, I don't know God's law and I don't care about God's law. It's probably not the sense of guilt you're feeling. It's probably a sense of hopelessness. That's what most people struggle with now. It's like, hope, like, where is my hope? Will life get any better than this? Will I continue to keep going down the uh, same destructive path over and over in my life? What is the meaning of all this? And, and where is it all leading to? And so there's a sense of which you probably lack hope. Listen to me. Jesus is the answer to that. Jesus will meet you in your hope or be with you in hope. Jesus will meet you in your pain. Jesus will not leave you in your life like everyone else has left you. Jesus will let you know that you're worthy of love and he will love you always. Jesus wants you. He wants you. And so if you've not trusted Jesus, I really want to encourage you today. On your way out to the right, there's prayer point. There's men and women there that would love to talk to you and love to help you pray and know Jesus and be saved today. Here's the good news as well about this text. Paul's not writing to an individual. He's writing to a church that we're all together in this and that we're one big family. And here's what you're going to see in a moment. You're going to see people come forth and say, hey, I identify with Jesus. I identify with his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And I identify with other Christians as well that I am a part of the family. And so we, today we're going to celebrate uh, people becoming part of the family here. And so if you want to know who Jesus is and you want to be baptized, please uh, go to prayer point sometime today. Trust Jesus and be baptized as well. But now uh, we're going to celebrate as a family this new life of people joining our family here. So I'm going to pray for us. And here in a moment, we're going to baptize people. Father, thank you so much for um, just loving us. Thank you so much for being so kind and merciful to us. God, each and every one of us struggle mightily, mightily. 
We want to do what is right, and yet wrong is right around the corner. At times we have great desires for wrong, great desires for evil, great desires for anything but you. And so God, would you forgive us of that? God, today, if you have convicted through your Holy Spirit, I pray that we would be responsive to confess, repent, and turn back to you. And God, you're also called the great comforter. And so God, I pray for those that are really just going through it, whether it be relational strife, medical, personal, soul-wrenching things, Holy Spirit, would you give them great comfort? A, a comfort and a peace uh, that passes all understanding like, like they've never experienced or thought of. And God, I pray for my friends. Those who are here that didn't know what to expect when they got here. Those who are here that do not know you. God, your word says that you are mighty to save. And so as you have saved many of us here, would you save souls as well. God, would you draw men, women, boys, and girls to you now? Your word says that when Jesus is lifted up, that you will draw people to yourself. And God, they might not be able to explain what's happening inside of them now, but they are going from death to life. And that you would give them the new life in Christ. That you would save them. Would you do that, please? Would you give them the, the boldness and the courage to go talk to someone and tell someone about what you're doing in their life today? And I pray that you would give them opportunity. You'd give them uh, the ability to step forward to be baptized as well. And God, today we thank you and we rejoice in you and we just um, we celebrate who you are by what you're doing here at Grace Point Church. So thank you for the people who are going to come forward all throughout the day uh, to be baptized, to identify with you, Jesus and to identify with the church. May all that you do today bring us joy and bring us unity. And may all that we do today, Jesus, bring you glory and you alone. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.